here on the front row is Dr. Gary Dimbo. His wife, Doris, is just right back here. If you'll kind of wave your hand, there's Doris. They are um, no strangers to northern Missouri. Um, may not be strangers to some of you in this room. They've been here before. Uh, we're thinking probably around 2006. We're trying to nail down the, the, the timeline. It's been a while. Uh, Dr. Dimbo has served in the northern Missouri area for a very long time. He was a church planner, pioneer here in Missouri, and then was the pastor of Christian Chapel in Columbia, Missouri. It's now called C2 Church, if you've heard of C2 in Columbia. He served there from 1981 until August of 2005. Uh, during that time, Dr. Dimbo held several leadership positions here in the Northern Missouri District broadly, including being the assistant superintendent for 16 years here in our district. In 2005, when he left C2 Church out of uh, Columbia, he moved to Springfield, Missouri to become the president of Central Bible College in Springfield, which is where Malia and I met. And uh, I, I went back, I got the logo out. I thought, this this feels like an appropriate title, right? Like, there's our, our CBC crest. Training ministers and missionaries since 1922. Uh, no longer. The school has been consolidated into Evangel University and the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. And the, the name of Central Bible College and the work of Central Bible College looks a lot different than it did uh, when Dr. Dimba was there leading things. But he was a, an excellent leader. And, and Molly and I really valued that time on that campus and the training that we received there has really uh, impacted and shaped us. And that's due to Dr. Dimbo's uh, excellent, excellent leadership. In 2013, after that consolidation took place, Dr. Dimbo went up north and was the dean of the College of Missions at North Central University up in Minneapolis. Uh, they are no strangers to missions. Uh, the Dimbos served on the missions field overseas in the Philippines uh, for a while. What's always impressed me about Dr. Dimbo, uh, kind of moving off his bio and more personal, is he has such a pastoral heart and a missionary heart, loves the Lord, loves to see people grow in the Lord, the lost come to be saved. And, and he's a great preacher, which you'll get to hear uh, in just a moment. It was always the highlight for me of our chapel services. And chapel services at CBC were every single day of the week for students. Uh, you went every day. HLG has chapel, what, once? Okay, yeah, come on. <laughs> five days a week, five days a week. And I loved when Dr. Dimbo spoke. Uh, he uh, is a great preacher, but we had a rotation. We'd hear from other faculty and guests that were brought in, and uh, student seniors got to preach and everything. And my, my hope, my desire was always, I just why don't we just have Dr. Dimbo preach every single week? And that probably wouldn't work too well for the president of a college, but I still wanted that. Uh, he's a great speaker. Back in April at our Northern Missouri District Council, uh, Dr. Dimbo was the preacher for our communion service. Myself and many others, in fact, the, the survey they sent out uh, testified that the overwhelming majority of us said the highlight of district council this year was the communion sermon that he had preached. It was a wonderful, wonderful message. And as soon as he got done, I, uh, I just made a beeline right across the other side. And I said, I said Dr. Dimbo, I know you're, you're up north now. They live near Cincinnati, uh, attend the church that his son pastors. And uh, he still travels extensively all around. And I said, um, do you have any idea when the next time you'll be back down in northern Missouri is? And he said, oh, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm doing a revival in Jeff City, uh, which was the last, the, the first four days of this week, from last Sunday to, to Wednesday. Uh, and I said, well, would you be willing to come up to little old Nelsonville? He said, oh, sure, I've been to Nelsonville before. And, and uh, he said, well, what about the 17th? And I said, the 17th it is. And I just didn't even look at my calendar. I just booked it. Like, that was the day. And so uh, I'm so glad this has worked out to come. Dr. Imbo, if you would come, uh, he's going to open the word this morning. He's going to bless us with the scriptures. Would you help me welcome Dr. Dimbo to the stage this morning? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Bless you, man. Bless you. I will report to you that on most Wednesdays when I preached, while these two were in school, and they found each other pretty quickly, 
after they got to Central Bible College. And uh, they would sit to my right, where you all are sitting, in about that row, and we're always there. They were faithful to chapel, so he's, he, when he tells you to be faithful to church, he really was faithful to chapel back in those times. Of course, he was also on our payroll, so he had to be there. <laughs> he kept, it's, it's like some of you with your grandkids, you know, when your grandkids come to your door and you say, hi, come on in, how you doing? Here, fix my phone. We did that with Isaiah a lot during that time. It's just such a pleasure to be back here and to be with the pastor and his family and uh, to get to speak to you. And, you know, when I saw those kids running toward Children's Church, I wanted to go. <laughs> that, that must be a great place back there. And, uh, wow. Uh, we, uh, just by way of introduction, I know you've heard all, all that stuff, but uh, Doris and I are, we are so thankful that we're, we're the parents of four kids, four great kids, and they've married wonderful mates, and we have uh, eight grandchildren, six of whom live near us in Cincinnati. In fact, that's why we live in Cincinnati, because we have grandkids there. And also, as Pastor said, we are members of the church pastored by our own son, our baby son. And the unique thing that will touch you about our youngest son, who's now, well, he's 40 years old, so obviously he's not that young anymore. Or is he 41? 40. 41. Oh my goodness. Our baby's 41. Oh my. But his name is Joseph Victor, but he grew up with us calling him Joe V. Manuel Schultz, who we prayed for earlier, his dad was Joe V. And our son is named after his dad because we were a close family even back then. So we're just grateful to God for our son who pastors the church that we're members of, Joe V. <clears throat> I want to talk to you today out of Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and that's the text I'm taking, I'll, and I'll get there and uh, talk about it by the end of the message. Um, I was on the island of Boracay. Now, that doesn't mean much to you, but... Uh, most, and most Americans say Boracay, uh, but in the Philippines it's Boracay. And uh, I was on that island, and God gave me a word. And uh, that's, it's a resort island. You know, you don't expect when you go to a resort island to get a message from God. I want to bring you the word this morning that, that I received out on the, a beautiful island in the, in the uh, Pacific Ocean, actually in the South China Sea, about this subject. The subject is come up here. Come up here. You see, I had in my mind this vision of, of a person who hears God's voice and just naturally steps up to the next level to draw closer to God. I, I, I believe every church service should be a time when you and I take a step closer to God and a step Closer to God is always a step up. And I can demonstrate that from the scripture. A step closer to God is always a step up. Now, I know from dealing with leaders and with dealing with people that we have so many books out, we have so many motivational seminars and all of that thing about what we should be and how we should change and what we should do. And indeed, I've 
taught that, I've preached that, I believe that, I know it's true that there are a lot of things that we can change. Is this creating a diversion? Okay, let me switch. I know that there are so many things we can change and so many things we can do, but really for us who are believers in Jesus and for any of you who desire to walk with God, the main thing is to have an experience with God and in that experience with God, when you hear him say, come up a little higher, come a little closer, come into my presence. Come up, come into my presence. And that's what happens with John in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, after these things. In the Greek, it's metatauta. And it, it means just this, after what you've just heard, after what you've just seen, and, and actually you know in Revelation what you've just heard is, is Revelation 2 and 3 about the seven churches. So it's after these things, I looked, he turned his face heavenward, and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. So in truth, what I'm going to talk about this morning is this truth. When God calls us and we step up into his presence, he reveals himself to us in such a great way that our lives are never the same again. And honestly, again, I'll say, that should be your reason for coming to church this morning. To have an encounter with God that will leave you never the same again. Always changed, a little bit more like him. A little bit more prone to his presence. A little bit more reaching out for his mighty hand in your life. When I studied the scripture... I find that this was a key element in the success of so many biblical examples. I've just narrowed it down to three this morning that I'm going to show you. Three great biblical examples of people that stepped up when God told them to step up. And they learned more about God than they ever thought they could learn. And then their lives were eternally changed because of what they did when they stepped into God's presence. The first one that we'll talk about is Moses. And Moses had three great encounters with God. Well, he had daily encounters with God for 40 years. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize what I believe to be the three greatest encounters with God that Moses had. Moses had, in the first place, a definite call from God. Now, it was a, it was a different kind of call. Remember Samuel? Samuel was a, a, a baby born because of the of, of the work of God in the life of Hannah and the word of the prophet. And Samuel uh, literally was serving God from his mother's womb. He was, it seems that he was called at such an early age. Moses was not. Moses was called by God when he was 80 years of age. And he had spent, he had just spent his entire working career, 40 years from the time he was 40 to the time he was 80, tending his father-in-law's sheep, he did it in the Arabian Peninsula, and he did it around two great mountains. There were other mountains. Basically, the mountain area was called Mount Horeb. But you know one of the mountains, too, is Mount Sinai. And he literally took his sheep, took his father-in-law's sheep, to try to find watering places all around 
Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai. And one of the days that he was out with his father-in-law's sheep, 80 years of old, standing on his staff, I'm sure, he saw a vision right before him. It was, it was a true happening, but to him, it was something from God. So I call it a vision because it was God speaking to him, it, but God used a real tangible example, something that you could touch and feel, because Moses saw a bush on fire but not being consumed. He then heard a voice that spoke out of the bush. This is all in Exodus chapter 3. In verse 4, he heard, he heard his name spoken out of the bush, and he responded, here am I. And then he heard the booming voice of God coming out of that bush, and the voice of God identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse 6 of chapter 3, it says Moses did this great act of faith. He hid himself. He, he literally tried to shrink back from the voice of God, and he tried to find some place that he could go so that, the, so that he wouldn't draw too close to God. He had the idea that if he got too close to God, he might die or something bad might happen or he might be stricken. He, he immediately recognized his sin and sort of like Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves behind a, a cloak of leaves, he pulled himself back. But God pursued him and gave Moses a call. Come now, therefore, God said. And I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, you know, went on to say, whom shall I say hath sent me? And God says, I am that I am hath sent you. That's really where we get the word Jehovah. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's a, 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 the word that we use to mean our great God or the all-encompassing word for God, Yahweh. Some people call it Yahweh. We usually put verbs to it. Uh, nouns to it, uh, excuse me, uh, vowels to it and call it Jehovah. But this is the point where Moses' life at 80 years of age took a dramatic change. You don't have to wait until you're 80 for your life to take a dramatic change in the presence of God. But if that's the time when that dramatic change comes, from then on, you're responsible to do what God has told you to do because you have found a place in his presence. And then the second great thing that happened to Moses in due time, the children of Israel were delivered, and, and it took quite a while, but he got them delivered, and they, they came to the Red Sea. The presence of the Lord was with them day and night. That was promised. There was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and the angel of the Lord was in control of that pillar, and when God wanted it to move, it moved. Well, the children of Israel came to the Red Sea. Their back was literally against the wall, and in front of them was the sea, and they couldn't go any place. Pharaoh's army had, had gathered and began to chase them, and the angel of the Lord caused the cloud of God's presence to come down on the north side of them so that Pharaoh's army had to stop because of the darkness they could not pursue. And while that cloud was keeping Pharaoh's army back, the hand of God literally churned the waters of the sea until the walls of water stood up on both sides of this wide freeway type road that went right through the bottom of the sea. And Moses is standing there watching the whole time, holding his rod up, because as long as he held his rod up, the walls of water stood up. The power of God was so evident in his life. How could something so great happen? 
Well, God had taken Moses to a place where he had power both with men and with God. Moses had been lifted up into God's presence by the call of God on his life. And he knew how to obey God. And God promised that God would deliver his people. And the water would not keep his people from being delivered. When God has made a decree, you can go to the bank on that decree. When God has made a promise, you can put that promise in your day book and God will keep it. When you've had a word from God, when you've been in the presence of God and God has given you a word to stand on, you can stand on it. When the situation is impossible, you can still stand on God's word. Well, the third great thing that happened in Moses' life is this. When the children of Israel had been out about three months, they crossed the Red Sea and they wandered in the Arabian Peninsula for about three months. They came to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. Moses brought them back to the very place where he had seen the burning bush. Because to him, that was holy ground. So he brought them back to that place. And that cloud that had been leading them day by day settled on top of Mount Sinai. And stayed there. Now the cloud was visible. You couldn't see the top of the mountain. Because the cloud shrouded it. And then the voice of God came to Moses saying. Come up into my presence. And so Moses according to chapters 33 and 34. Of Exodus. Moses made a number of trips up the mountain. Into the cloud. And when he would come back out of the cloud and come down, the people would say, oh, Moses, don't get close. Because the scripture says his face glowed with the presence of God. The people could tell he had been in God's presence and he came down. He came down with the tablets of stone, with the Ten Commandments written on them. He came down with the law. He came down with the plan for the tabernacle. He came down with all that you read in the, most of what you read in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, because he was willing to go up the mountain and come into the presence of God. You see, God is the one who called him to the mountain. God is the one who said, Moses, Come on up with me on the mountain. And the scripture says in verse 20 of, of, uh, that Moses went up into the presence of God. Now here's some of the things Moses received on the mountain. The Ten Commandments. He received the essence of the law. But this is, I think, the number one thing he received. Chapter 33, verse 18. He saw the glory of God up close. He said, let me see you. He said, now show me your glory. The glory, word glory, the word glory. If you can just put this in your thinking. The word glory in the New Testament and in the Old Testament means the visible expression of the invisible God. The word glory means that God puts his presence in such a way that you can get a glimpse of it. Not that you can see God himself. But you can see his presence. Sometimes you see it in an action or in a, sometimes you feel it in a word or sometimes you see it in the move of the Spirit of God in a service. But Moses saw the glory of God. He was so close. He was so close. He could sense the glory. 
the Lord said, there's a place where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand. You'll see my back. He was that close to God. He had God talking to him like one man talks to another man. What faith. And it all happened when he responded to this call of God. Come on up, Moses. Come on up. Here's what I believe. I believe God wants to lift your faith this moment. This very moment. That God wants to lift your faith. This is not an ordinary Sunday. This is a Sunday when we believe God to lift our faith up above what we've seen and what we've heard and even what we felt and give us a new touch from God. You and I should crave one moment in God's presence when God says, come up here. For sure, it was those days in the presence of God that outfitted Moses for 40 years of walking the children of Israel through the wilderness and to the edge of the promised land. And in the presence of God, he received all he needed to lead the people on this journey. And my contention is, in the presence of God today, you'll receive all you need to make it through this week. You'll receive all of the spiritual strength. Do I know what's going to happen this week? I do not know. We have plans. We have plans to get up in the morning, drive 400 miles back to Cincinnati, be there in time to get our grandson and take him to a soccer game tomorrow afternoon because that's what grandparents do. They provide taxi service. <laughs> and, uh, and we get to go to, tra uh, to cross-country meets and soccer games and this and that and everything else it seems like. And, you know, we have plans and the plans throughout the week. And next Sunday, I'm supposed to be preaching in, a, in a, the city of Beaver Creek on the edge of Dayton, a suburb of Dayton. All those plans, we have plans, but the Lord really knows our steps and orders our steps. And I'm sure of one thing, that it's possible that God could give us an experience in his presence this morning so that whatever comes my way this week, whatever I face this week, whatever befalls me this week, I can face it in the power and the strength that I receive from God while I'm in his presence. Praise God. Let's turn our attention to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had, had some great encounters with God. Uh, he tells about the first encounter three times. He tells about it in the book of Acts, chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. And in these three encounters with God, he, he tells, or in these three, uh, three stories, he tells the same story three times, but he tells about his salvation that happened on the road to Damascus. He tells it as a lifetime testimony. He was so, he was so changed by this by this salvation experience on the road to Damascus that he couldn't stop telling it. So here's what happened. He, he had received an authorization from the Sanhedrin court in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and to shut down the, the meeting places of the people of the way, the people who were called Christians, the people who were followers of Christ, this new thing that had happened. And so he had these papers in his pocket. He was going to go up and he was going to do whatever he had to do to stop these Christians from meeting in the various places they were meeting in the city of Damascus. So on his way, 
he was stricken down to the ground and he was blinded, temporarily blinded until Ananias prayed for him and he received back his sight. But he knew it was God. He said, is that you, Lord? And the voice came back and said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And there on that road, Moses said, what do you want me to do? And he told him exactly what to do. And on that road, in that experience, Moses' whole life changed. In a, in a moment's time, it turned on a dime. It turned completely around. And it so changed him that when he spoke before kings, when he spoke before audiences in royal places, he told his testimony. He told it as though it was the, it was the, the defining moment of his life. Now, some of you may not remember your salvation moment very well. Maybe some of you were saved in a revival in this very church. But I'm telling you this. When you come to Jesus Christ, it will be a life-changing experience. And though you might have been so young, you don't rem remember all of the aspects of it. I'm telling you this, like the Apostle Paul, salvation is a crisis experience that sets our life on a new direction and causes us to live a new way and walk a new way. And it causes us to be different than we ever be were before. And if your salvation experience doesn't do that, you need to come back to the altar because that's what it does. So this first great experience with God was Moses laying with his face in the ground, his eyes blinded as, as if it were by scales, and saying, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, what is it you want me to do? And he did it. The second great time in God's presence that I want to talk about with, with Paul is this. Paul was called into the presence of God. He had such a, such a call on his life. He, he says this. He, he was in Damascus when he was saved. He went back to Jerusalem. He, oh, I'm sorry. He went from Damascus down to, back, back down to the Arabian Peninsula, sort of Gaza, sort of in that area, south of, south of Jerusalem. And there he says he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul already knew the Old Testament because he had studied in Jerusalem, like at the university level, at the feet of Gamaliel. He had, he had studied as a young man. He knew the Old Testament law. But he, he did not know the revelation of Jesus. So he had to go to the desert. He had to spend three years in the desert. And in that three years, God spoke to him and revealed himself and revealed the truth about Jesus. So when Paul came back to Jerusalem, he was ready to preach the gospel because he had received the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, God took him to the desert and God gave him a revelation. Like he took Moses to the mountaintop, he took Paul to the desert. Meaning, I don't know where God will take you to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. God has revealed things to me in strange places. I was preaching the other night in Jeff City, and I was reminded of the time that I was in Rangoon, Myanmar. It used to be called Rangoon, Burma, but it's now actually called Yangon, Yangon, Myanmar. They, they go by their natural name, not the British name anymore. And so they, uh, they, I was in this place. It was my first visit there. It, I was in a little hotel, not a big hotel, just a small inn, and I could not sleep. I think 
it was one of the first times in my life that I really felt the demonic powers, the, the stronghold that, that uh, demonic powers had on that nation. And I later, in my travels in that country, I confirmed that. I really believe that's what I was feeling. I could not sleep. I needed a touch of the presence of God, and I cried out to God, and God led me to the Scripture and led me to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. I laid back down, and I quoted that Scripture until I went to sleep. I don't know at what point I went to sleep. I don't know how many times I quoted it because I went to sleep. I just knew this. An experience with God in a place where there was demonic power at work. And yet, my experience with God brought sweet peace and joy to my life. I don't know where you'll be when you get a revelation of God, when God speaks to you. I can take you to the place on Highway 60 down by Fordland, Missouri, where I was called into missions. On the side of the road, in, in, a, in a 1975 Oldsmobile station wagon that was bought at Montgomery Motors in Lebanon, Missouri. I know I can tell you the details of it. I can tell you what song I was listening to on the gospel radio coming out of Springfield when I was overwhelmed and had to pull the car to the side of the road. And there in that car, that car turned into an altar and I was in the midst of a cathedral because the presence of God was in my car. We, we, most of us have some experiences that we can tell when we, we, we knew we were in God's presence and what we received in God's presence was a great revelation of the power of God and of God speaking to our hearts saying, do this, go here, do that, do what I tell you to do. Thank God for those moments. And the Apostle Paul said that he was preaching the gospel because he had had a revelation in the presence of God. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and in this passage, Paul is defending his apostleship because, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, he, he writes a really, especially the first five or six chapters of 1 Corinthians, is really a difficult passage. There's, there's sexual sin going on in the Corinthian church, and he writes to correct it. And, and, and so in 2 Corinthians, his apostleship has been attacked. So he writes this book defending his apostleship. And one of the things he tells the people in 2 Corinthians is this, that he knew a man in Christ, about 14 years ago, he says, who was caught up into the third heaven. And then he identifies the man. He says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. I think he means he was the one he's talking about. He's talking about his own experience. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, for I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. The Apostle Paul is relating a time when he was in prayer, and during that prayer time, literally he felt like he was taken into an out-of-body experience. It was a spiritual experience, literally caught up into the presence of God, into a place that he called paradise. And there he had a conversation with Jesus Christ the righteous, and he heard things that he could not repeat, even to the Corinthian church. He had such a strong vision of God that it led him to write this passage. He heard inexpressible things. And my prayer is, whatever God's called you to do, he's given you such a clear vision of the ministry he's called you to that there's no doubt in your heart and life the call of God is there for you.
for those people back there taking care of those children, it takes a call to minister to children. Thank God for them. I'm so glad week after week when I preach here and there, I'm so glad that, that there are people called to take care of children. There are people called to take care of you. There are some of you called to teach a Sunday school class or called to lead the women's ministry or called to do outreach or our dear brother who's down in Guatemala right now called to go on these mission trips. I know when Brother Schultz was here, he took a bunch of you at various times on mission trips because that's what Brother Schultz lives for, has lived for for many, many, many years. He's probably been to Guatemala, Nicaragua, and those places 35 or 40 times in his lifetime because he just sensed that was God's call in his life to take people and get them excited about missions. When you have an experience in the presence of God, when God calls you up to a special place and talks to you, your life will never be the same again. The last thing you need to do is sink back into the doldrums. You need to stay up, stay in the presence of God, keep that fire in your heart going strong, doing what God told you to do, and not let yourself slip back to where you used to be. Wow. Paul was the servant he was and was the leader he became, an apostle, a church planner, an evangelist, a teacher, because he had been summoned to the Lord's presence. And in the Lord's presence, he had been taught wonderful things. He had been given a clear mission and he had received the fullness of the Holy Spirit to empower him to do what God called him to do. Well, the third example I want to show you is back to our text in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I think it's a defining moment in Revelation, but as you know, it comes after chapters 1, 2, 3. So if you go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 19, what you have in verse 19 of chapter 1 is the outline for the book of Revelation. Not all books in the Bible give their outline. But verse 19 has the angel of the Lord saying to John, Write therefore the things which thou hast heard, or seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So that's the three-point outline for the book of Revelation. The things which John saw were in chapter 1. The things which are is the church age in chapters 2 and 3. And then chapter 4, verse 1 begins with these words, after these things. In other words, after the first three chapters. So it's the things which are here or after this. So it's a wonderful outline. So John had this outline, the things which you saw, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. The revelation actually started on, in verse 9 of chapter 1, and that's when, when John was on the island of Patmos, and there on the island of Patmos, the angel of the Lord came to visit him and gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind, when you look at the book of Revelation, it's not the revelation of the Antichrist, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The main character in the book of Revelation is not the Antichrist, it's Jesus. Keep that in mind. And my feeling is this, if you're going to study the Revelation, you should do, do it sort of like we, we did the old Where's, Where's Waldo game, where you, where you saw the picture and tried to find him. In every chapter of Revelation, find Jesus. Because it's his story. It's his revelation. Give him the main 
billing for the book. Because when you do, your whole, your whole perspective of the book of Revelation will change. Because, yeah, there will be an Antichrist, but our Christ is greater than the Antichrist. Yeah, there, there will be plagues and there will be this and that. But our Jesus will save us from it all when he comes riding on a white horse with a name written on his thigh, a vesture dipped in blood, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's Jesus. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, in chapters 2 and 3, you see Jesus walking around among the churches, the seven churches. And the seven churches can represent more than just the seven locations around Asia Minor or East or Western Turkey where the seven churches were located. They represent the church in all of its various states from the beginning of the church till now. Now, some will say, well, they're, they're like... A, periodic like there's the church of Ephesus and then that's followed by this church and then that church no I think I think you'll find Ephesian churches and Philadelphia churches and Laodicean churches right now operating that is churches with the problems that are there in the book of Revelation so Jesus walks around among the seven churches and you have that part of Revelation but then then you have John's Revelation continuing because in chapter 4 verse 1 it says after these things after these things John receives a summons from heaven. Come up here. And John is transported by the Spirit of God to, to a place where he's allowed to overlook some things and see some things that no one has ever seen before him. Quite like that. And the very first thing John sees in chapter 4 is the throne of God and the one who sits on the throne. Before he sees how all the end times are going to unfold, before he sees all of that, the very first thing he sees in his great vision is the throne of God, which is huge. It's like a sea of glass before it. And he, he sees these, these four living creatures and these 24 elders, and they're, they're, they're paying homage. They're doing great things before the throne. The four living creatures are there, and the 24 elders, and they're falling down before the throne in worship, in continual worship, saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power. When he gets a vision of heaven, the first thing he sees is Almighty God. And the second thing he sees is in chapter 5. He looks in the midst of the throne and behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Takes a double take and looks back and sees the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He sees Jesus and he sees the nations of the earth. Every nation, race, tribe and tongue. People from there falling down before him and praising him. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power. You see, the revelation that John saw. Before he ever saw all of the other things, the, the, the trumpets and the vials and, the, and the, all of that, before he sees that, he sees God on the throne and Jesus, the saving Redeemer, the Lord of all. And he sees worship. And it's a sight. That sight, that mighty sight of the, our great God on the throne and of Jesus in the midst of the throne that great sight put John on his face. And then this angel, I can just see it, sort of like you've done your children. 
This big angel reached down and grabbed John by the nape of the neck, the nap of the neck, and he, he raised John up and sort of shook him a little bit and says, Don't do that! Chapter 19, he says, Worship God. For the worship of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? For all of the things that John, the things we're interested in, John saw sometimes are different things. But I'm telling you, when God brings you up into his presence, it is to show you himself. I used to, when I pastored a church down in Columbia, I prayed every Sunday morning. I got to the church early and, and did stuff and, you know, made sure everything was right. Just like your pastor came over early this morning and turned the coffee pot on. And pastors do that. And then we, we jiggle all the toilet handles before we leave just to make sure we don't waste water during the week. I mean, we, that's just the job of the pastor. But I would get in my office and I would cry out to God and say, Lord, in some way, reveal yourself to every person who comes this morning. Show yourself, God. Powerful, full of power and full of strength. Show yourself to the people this morning. It brings me to my application. I've just got three or four more things to say to you. I'm not sure how long it'll take, but it's just three or four more things. I came to church this morning. I came to church this morning as a candidate for the trip that Moses took. I want one just like that. I'm ready if the cloud would settle over this church and the Lord would say, just stay a month. I'd go find me a travel trailer somewhere and pull up somewhere on the side here and just stay a month. I'm ready for, I, honestly, I'm ready. I'm ready for a sweeping move of God somewhere that Christians will come and get under the cloud of God's presence and just be ready to live there for a while until God says, now go tell the people what I've told you to tell them like he did Moses. I want to touch the glory of God. I want the glory of God to be so real in this place that you can feel, sense, know the glory of God. I want a place where God talks to us like one person talks to another, where we can commune so closely with God that there's no doubt in our minds we've been with God. I want to be a candidate this morning to see what Moses saw and feel what Moses felt. Secondly, I, I want to present myself as a candidate to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've been studying hard for more than 50 years, preaching thousands of sermons from the time I was 19 years old and we pioneered a church in Perryville, Missouri. I... I I still crave, desire, long for those special moments in the presence of God when I receive a new and living word, when something sparks a new truth in my heart. Now, in, in reality, it's an old truth, but it's like I read, that I read that page a dozen times, but all of a sudden I read it, it jumps off the page at me, and I've got a new truth, and I've got a new sermon, and I've got a new word, and I've got a new spark, and I get up before you, and I preach like someone who's just heard something. I've got something to tell you that I just heard. And it's a great word from God. It's a great word from God. So I want to be like, I want to be like Paul. I want a revelation of Jesus Christ that will shape my life and change my life and make me over new. Call me up, Lord. I want to go higher. Call me up, Lord. I'm ready to go up Sinai. Call me up. I'm ready to be caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't care. Just take me there. Just take me there. And then thirdly, 
I want to prepare myself daily for the time like John had. For he started out this chapter 4, verse 1, with after these things. When the church age is finished, after these things, when God's ready to move to the next step, when the rapture of the church is about to take place, I want to be saying, Lord, count me in. I want to be walking so when that moment comes and the call comes from heaven, my feet leave this ground. And somewhere between here and heaven, my body's changed into a heavenly body. And this mortal puts on immortality. And, and this human puts on superhumanity, the humanity of heaven, however, whatever that looks, where we're known as we're known and where we're, we, we, we speak to one another. I, I'm telling you, it's a great thing coming after these things. And I want to be a candidate after these things to be caught up into his presence. I want to be living so that there's no doubt in the Lord's mind that he chooses me to go with him. And if he transports me up into his presence, I want to be in that throng in Revelation chapter 5, throwing my crown at Jesus' feet, giving honor and glory, worshiping the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Don't you want to go with me? Don't you crave that? You see, I brought this message this morning just to kind of whet your appetite. I know we're going to have a big dinner. The best big dinners in the world are in churches. There's nothing like church potlucks. It's, you know, you get to taste Sister Sue's cold potato salad and Sister Jane's hot potato salad, and you have the coleslaw with mayonnaise and the coleslaw with, with the Wesson oil. I mean, it, they're just all kinds of foods, and we, all, and we think it's wonderful, but there's no taste like the taste of the glory of God. I wanted you. I want me. I want to be a candidate to taste and see and know the glory of God so that when he calls, come up here. I'm no stranger to his call, and I'm ready to step up into his presence, and I'm ready to learn what he wants me to learn and to be what he wants me to be and to do what he wants me to do. And when I come back down to earth from his presence, I want to walk so straight that the people will say he must have been in the presence of God. Should we get near him? <laughs> will it hurt us if we get near him? Oh, I don't know. Come on near me. It won't hurt you. But, but that's how they felt about Moses. I'd like to have a little bit of that glow on my face. Wouldn't you? Hungry for the presence of God. I'd like for the, for, for the music folks to come on up and prepare to sing uh, an invitation song or a song of, of your choosing, whatever you've chosen however you've chosen it, just come on up and get ready. And, and I want us to pray. And then after I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to reach out to God this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for putting this message on my heart and putting it in such a way that I knew it was you speaking. Thank you, Lord, for letting me hear from you. And as I pictured Moses going up the mountain into your presence, and as, as I pictured Paul being called, called up to the third heaven. And as I pictured John being transported into your presence so that he could get the fullness of the revelation. I just stand here, Lord, and say to you, I'm a candidate. <laughs> I want that kind of experience where I sense your presence calling me and I know your presence guiding me and I know you're teaching me and I know you're with me. And Lord God, especially in these difficult times, these times when so many of our friends have experienced COVID and we've been to funerals and we've heard the news and 
all, all that we've gone through in this last year and a half, and some people continue to go through, and all the changes that have come about in our lives, and all the things we're facing now because of the state of our country, we just call upon you, Lord, because what we need is a revelation of God in our lives, to trust you to know that you will see us through this tough time. You'll see us through. Lord, we're just, we're seeing things change, and so many of those things we don't like to see change, but we know you do not change. You will see us through. You're the one constant in our lives. You're the one thing we can call on. And so we cry out to you this morning, call, call us into your presence. Let us just get a glimpse of your glory. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me, please? And would, would you begin to pray on your own? And if, if God's touching your heart and you want to come around this altar, please feel free to come as we begin to sing. But our cry is, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, take me up into your presence. You say, Pastor, but do I need that? Yes, you do. One moment in his presence will change your life. One moment in his presence will change your life. Let's sing. And as we sing, you all come. Would you come and just, if you feel like praying, come. Or you can pray at your seat, but, but lift your hearts to God. Don't, don't take this time for granted. Let it be your time in the Lord's presence. Let's sing this morning. Lord, you are the Holy One. Every one of us in this room, Lord, we come in here and we are affected by our sin. We are unworthy of entering into your presence. And yet, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of your love for us, we stand here in your presence. You meet with us. You minister to us. You heal us. You change us. Father, we thank you for this great time of hearing you speak through your word to us. There is our hope. There is our confidence. There is the beauty, the power, the, the magnificent wonder of who you are revealed to us in your word. And we thank you that we hear you. We hear you calling to us, step up, come in to your presence. God, would you give us the boldness to do that? Give us the ability to respond to you. Draw us into your presence, we pray, Lord. Day by day by day, may we be changed by who you are and what you have called us to do. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your power at work in our lives. We thank you for this message you have spoken to us through our brother. I thank you for the time that you've given us to be here in this room, this place today. We thank you for the meal that you have provided, all the hands that have made that. Lord, would you bless them? Would you turn our hearts to gratitude, Lord, as we prepare to eat and fellowship? Lord, may this be a time of joy in one another's presence as we have been in your presence together. Would you bind our hearts together in unity and love for one another? We thank you for the many, many gifts that you have given us. We ask your blessing upon this day, Lord, as we continue to worship you in everything we eat and drink and everything we do. May it be to your glory, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful, powerful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.